welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Brenna. And our show is located on the ancestral lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the Tecumseh Sequatin territory within the unceded traditional lands of Sequatin Ulu, though I am calling in this week from Algonquin Anishinaabe territory. And we have no territorial acknowledgement this week for the text because we are back to jolly old England briefly, mm. and then back across the channel to France again with right. Heartstopper Season 2. Yes, Brenna, the sensation returns. And I'm curious, right off the top, before we maybe go into the plot synopsis, do you think that this is going to have the same kind of cultural impact that season one did? Yes, I do. I okay. 100% do. I think the vibes here are immaculate. Mm. <laughs> and even though I have some questions, I think the show has made some really savvy choices, including giving Elle a much bigger role in the right. TV series than in the book that make uh -huh. it very much relevant and up to the moment. And I think particularly with all the energy we're seeing around banning of texts and lack of access to queer and trans narratives, I think mm -hmm. that this series is dropping at exactly the right moment to offer a little bit of relief in the back to school period for teenage viewers everywhere. Joe, why didn't they ask me to write the tagline? That was amazing. <laughs> I was amazing. going to say. I know. Ma'am, that was fantastic. <laughs> this is interesting. I will confess, I was a little bit more lukewarm on this, but more so at the start of the season. And I got there in the end. So it was curious to end up rereading volume three of Alice Oseman's text, because of course, she wrote the comic and it became this massive sensation. And she's, I gathered a, maybe a bit more hands on this season than she was in the first season too. Oh, that's interesting. I saw her on the executive producers list, but I didn't know if that was a change from the first time around. Oh, okay. Because I couldn't remember. I could be wrong, folks. I'm having a bit of a brain fog day. But I think she wrote nearly all of these episodes in season oh, two. Nice. And I couldn't remember if she did that in season one. Okay, that's really exciting to me. Yeah, but I'll confess. Okay, so let me just get this out of the way and then we can talk about what exactly is going on. But even though it is a very, very good, almost straightforward adaptation, I found that having to spend more time with Charlie being a bad student because he's so obsessed with his relationship with Nick mm. ended up grading me because in the comic there's like a blip where we're doing exams and everybody's just a little bit stressed and busy. Whereas the TV show stretches that out to nearly four episodes to be like, oh, Charlie can't go over to Nick's place because he's not doing well in class because he's so fixated on the relationship. And it just, it almost soured me on Charlie a little bit because he was acting like such a teenager, which I know it's like, <laughs> well, this is what we're talking about. But I never got that sense in previous in the previous year or in previous mm. comics. I will say, as soon as we get to Paris, all is forgiven. I'm crying nearly every episode. And the <laughs> finale of it was, you know, chef's kiss. The finale episode is amazing. Um, I think the goal there is to ramp up the tension for Charlie's family and to right. give Georgina Rich something to do, honestly. Like, I think <laughs> so that's true, the whole right? purpose. <laughs> Why are you here? Oh, okay. <laughs> we'll try to give you a little bit more to do. 
Yeah, exactly. I think that's the vibes I get from it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, you're right that it's a little bit tedious slash exhausting. However, I think the other thing that they're doing is they're taking some of the weight off the eating disorder conversation by placing mm. it on this conversation instead. Right. The eating disorder conversation does come up in this episode in a way that we don't see it foreshadowed in the first season, which mm-hmm. I was glad to see. I think it's an important conversation. I reread volume four because I was looking for the dad stuff and I okay. couldn't find it. And I realized it was at the end of volume four. And so that's the volume of the book for those who haven't read the series. That's the volume where Charlie actually goes into inpatient care for his oh, eating disorder. Okay. And I don't know how we get there from here in the way the TV series has set it up because hmm. it doesn't seem to have the deleterious impact on Charlie's life here that we see in the comics. So I'm right. I'm interested to see if we make that leap or if we focus on the internal family dynamics. Mm. I think in general, season two is more interested in the larger family dynamics because we do, of course, have a stronger focus on Darcy and what's going on in her home life. Right. And I think in general, the show is... You know, I think I jokingly said when we talked about season one, I was like, and everyone is queer. Um, right. Season two is more interested in talking to us a little bit about how these characters integrate into the non-queer spaces around them. Mm, I would also say it's actually better at broaching the fact that queer doesn't equal gay. Yes, yes. Well, I think we see such a greater diversity of experiences. Mm-hmm. Isaac is my standout favorite character from season two isaac and tori baby isaac and tori (laughs) still not just because i've read literally every single book that isaac carries around with him in season (laughs) two which makes him very charming the way isaac explores aromanticism and asexuality in this season Mm -hmm. much more overtly than what we see in the comic i think it's really lovely it's a kind of representation that we need to see right and so yeah i think you're right in general this show is A, more interested in a diversity of queer experiences, and B, more interested in seeing how those lives intersect with mainstream society, for better or for worse. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think both of those things are really difficult to do well, and the series is trying to do something quite complicated and, and succeeding, I would argue succeeding. And making it look a little bit effortless. But also, I feel like I've now taken us down the garden path and maybe even around the bend. <laughs> so, <laughs> Brenna, let's say folks have not watched Heartstopper or they have not read Volume 3 and part of Volume 4. So what are we dealing with? Okay, so this uh, opens with the very early stages of Charlie and Nick's relationship. We have the sort of coming out uh, that Nick experiences with first his mother and then Mm -hmm. other members of the community, the school community. We have Charlie confessing to his parents that he's dating Nick and their feelings about that. It's really interesting how Charlie's mom is fine with the idea of Charlie being gay in the abstract, but balks at the idea of him actually being in a relationship i found that deeply relatable oh so relatable (laughs) yeah particularly around i know it's a a kind of blink and you miss it or close your ears and you miss it but the dad seems like he's a little bit better but we do get the okay well now we're not doing any more sleepovers because that's the abstract to reality piece right we're comfortable with you being gay but the thought of you engaging in gay activities right the physicality of it Mm -hmm. we don't want you touching other boys 
I find that moment so interesting in the TV series, Joe, because I feel like in the comic that is 100% played for laughs. Like mm. his dad is like, no hanky-panky, and it's yes. supposed to sort of like offset the mom and be hilarious and mm-hmm. be the relatable dad moment. Whereas in the series, they play it straight. Like They he do, literally and that's why I think Tori becomes so important because, yeah. you know, she's... <laughs> I mean, Tori remains the best ally that you could possibly ever yes. have as a young teenage gay person because she is so protective of Charlie around Nick, around other people, like Nick's brother. Yes. <laughs> um, but I do love this moment where she's subtly diffusing the tension by saying, don't say hanky-panky, but also she's she's literally providing an exit for Charlie yeah. to get out of the conversation. Exactly. Ah, Tori. Tori does rock. So that that's the sort of beginning of this season. But the main focus is the school trip to Paris, where Mm -hmm. all the language students are going on this trip to Paris, even the ones who don't take French, which is an ongoing gag in Mm -hmm. this series. No one seems to speak French except for Nick. And then everyone (laughs) is surprised when Nick speaks French. (laughs) So they head off to Paris on this amazing adventure. And it's everything you would want it to be, right? We have romantic Mm -hmm. reckonings. We have Nick coming out to the school. We have Nick and Charlie going public about their relationship. Mm -hmm. We also have the first burgeoning discourse around Charlie's eating disorder. And then when they return to the UK, we have the big dinner with Nick's useless dad, who... Nick comes out to. And so, yeah, we really have focus here on season one's focus was the getting together. Mm -hmm. Season two's focus is what is it really like to be in a queer relationship and to move through all the stages of coming out? You know, Charlie at one point says, like, it feels like we never stop coming out. Like, every time Mm -hmm. we meet someone new, we have to come out. Um, And there's a lot of discussion about sort of these kids live in this little that kind of bucolic space at school that really isn't heteronormative, right? Like all their Mm -hmm. teachers are queer, but they still have to navigate the mainly heteronormative spaces of family and community. Mm -hmm. And that really is what the series is about coming out over and over and over again. And what is it to actually be in a relationship? Well, yeah, I, I would almost agree more with the latter part of it. Like the coming out is very much the central storyline for Nick this season as he just he doesn't know what to say. And I think he keeps expecting that it's going to be easier because mm-hmm. he has Charlie's support. And the reality mm-hmm. is, is that it's not like that. You're constantly looking for a window of opportunity to speak something. And one of the things I really liked is I think it's Tao in the comic who at one point says, you don't owe it to anyone to come out. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. We're, we're told that if you realize something, you need to tell everyone in your life immediately. And you don't owe them that responsibility. Like, there's a lot about what do we owe other people? What do we need to give of ourselves so that other people can understand us in this mm-hmm. season? And as a queer person, I found that so deeply relatable. I really like it. I think the negotiating outness is really what I'm getting at when I say Mm -hmm. that it's a central thrust of the season, because it's also about Charlie and the new dynamic that his being out takes on once he's actually in a relationship. Mm -hmm. And it's even, you know, Tao, Tao isn't really coming out about his feelings for Elle, but there is a dynamic there that he negotiates with his adorably enthusiastic mother, who then Mm -hmm. runs and tells all his aunts. Like, there's always this sort of... (laughs) 
negotiation of the public face of the relationships in this text. Mm-hmm. And that comes back over and over again in this season. I love Tao and L together, by the way. I love oh. it in the comic. And I think mm-hmm. they crank it up to 11 in the series in all the best ways. Yeah, reading reading the comic after watching all of season two, it is surprising. You know, we had the conversation in season one about how Elle just really isn't as present. And I would argue, mm-hmm. I think we, we said that for both the show and the comic. And you can see steps being taken in the comic to get her to a place where she can be more of the main thrust. Like, I think you said Alice Oseman realized we needed... We needed that character to mm-hmm. be present and more involved. The TV show has the advantage of saying, okay, well, we can literally throw these characters together much more easily and spend mm-hmm. more time in smaller moments. So Ellen Tao get a lot more to do in this season. Yeah. Like they get a lot more intimate moments together that really help to sell. I'm not going to lie. Oh, no, I thought it was going to be fine. <clears throat> Their relationship is the the one that made me very emotional. I love it so much. <laughs> it's in part because these two actors have incredible chemistry. Oh, and also, so I don't know if Elle got an even bigger glam up in season two, but she looks incredible this season. She does look incredible. And she gets so many opportunities to look incredible. So the TV series replaces the beach day that the kids go on in the book. Okay. So that's their, like, outing in the book. But in the TV series, instead, it's all about Elle. Elle mm-hmm. has had a piece of art accepted to an exhibition at the art school she's going to go to next year. Yes. And so we get Elle Glamour cranked up to 11. We get everything about her. We get to have her as the centerpiece of a moment. And that never really happens in the comic series. Mm. And it's so welcome here, right? Because we get to see her sort of stepping into this identity that she, you know, her first tentative steps are to start going to the girls' school. But this is like stepping into the whole person she wants to be. And Mm -hmm. Tao's support of her through all of that is so beautiful Yes. It's really deeply moving, and it is by far the more interesting of the relationship, which isn't to say anything bad about Nick and um, Charlie. It's still lovely to see them cuddle. Um, But there's something really (laughs) magical about Tao and Elle and the way Elle takes up space in this Mm -hmm. season uh, that I found just, just such a necessary, necessary thing. Yeah, I mean, I think in part, it's exciting because it's the burgeoning start of a relationship, right? Like, it's the same Mm -hmm. kind of vibes we were getting between Nick and Charlie, the will they won't they that everybody loves so much. Mm -hmm. But it's different in this regard, because there is, there isn't that, oh, is he gay? Is he bisexual questioning that maybe Mm -hmm. keeps them apart longer than they need to? It's Tao struggling first with this idea that... He doesn't want to have his heart broken if she ends up going off to this school. Mm-hmm. And it's not so much about him even. It's about not interfering with yes. her because she is so amazing, which is yes. fantastic. And then we throw this curveball in midway through the Paris trip where he has to reconcile with the fact that all of the horrible things that happened to Charlie mm-hmm. are because of him, because he was too loud, because he was... He wasn't cautious enough. So that drives Mm -hmm. him to be more cautious, even though he knows he's getting the signs from Elle that she wants to be in a relationship with him. 
So I, I loved how complicated that was without feeling the need to repeat the Charlie Nick storyline from season one, but also to do it in a way that is unique to Ellen Tao. Yes. Also, Tao looks much better with a short haircut. Yes, I know that. <laughs> I know that Elle's like, I hope you didn't cut your hair like that because of me, even though he totally cut his hair like that because of her. But sure. I'm glad he cut his hair like that because he looks way better. It's true. Yeah. I mean, he he looks more like a human being on a TV show as opposed to a literal comic character come to life, which is what the hair does in the first season, I think. Uh, we need to talk about Isaac a little bit. Okay, let's talk about <laughs> Isaac, because I really liked most of this storyline, and I was completely dissatisfied with the resolution. And I know that's going to shock you. No, I'm interested to hear more. I really love Isaac as a character. So Isaac oh, replaces yes. Alad in the comic. I really just think they've changed the name for an international audience, Joe. I don't mm -hmm. see any meaningful change in the no, character. No, it's the same character. It's just a different name. Yeah. So if you're used to Alad in the comics, this is Isaac. Isaac is so frustrated with the fact that his friends are only interested in him if he's making out with someone. Mm -hmm. And... Isaac is learning the language to describe who he is and how he moves through the world. He's learning the language of asexuality and aromanticism. And he's so over his friends. And he has this great outburst scene where he's just like, I'm actually more than whether or not I'm making out with the only other out gay kid at our school. Can you guys stop? Mm -hmm. That I loved so much. Yes. Isaac is such a quiet character that he's easy to forget about. And in fact, in the comics, I do forget about him because oh, yes. he's basically set decoration in the comics. So to see him actually Truly. get to be like a whole person in the TV series, I really, really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. One of the things that's so nice about the art show is that it's 100% L's story. And right. also the B plot of that event is... Isaac seeing an artist who has done an installation about the notion of asexuality and mm -hmm. suddenly having all this language and going immediately to the school library because kindred spirit Isaac <laughs> <laughs> needs to go read some books about it. Um, I just I really loved that whole plot line. And I want to hear what you didn't like about it. <laughs> I was like, is she going to stop and I can talk or no? Okay, <laughs> absolutely not. No, no. Do not slater Isaac. So I agree with everything. You know me. I said, Isaac and Tori, ride or die, my forever faves. And we do get so much more with Isaac this season. You know, he isn't set dressing in the TV show at all, which you're right in the comic. That character is barely visible. And I think that's kind of part of the joke, right? Like he's a friend who's mm -hmm. always there, but he's so disengaged that you almost forget about him until he says something witty. And that's fine. But in the TV show, that doesn't work. You need a character to actually mm -hmm. at least be there. So I just can I just make an aside? I have an aside mm -hmm. here. Yeah. It's yeah. interesting to me that the aromantic character gets so sidelined in this comic because Osman's fiction is known, at least in part, for really strong representations of aromanticism. Uh, okay. So I find that weird, but go on. Yeah, yeah, that is interesting. I mean, here's the thing. You don't always make perfect art. And sometimes I think we put things out under deadline, and then we wish we mm. could do them differently. So I do mm. feel like the TV show is an opportunity for Osman to work out the things that she wishes she could have done. Yeah, I agree. Differently in the comic. But um, yeah, okay. So Isaac also has a part to play in the Nick and Charlie storyline where he gets pulled into the hickey incident that happens in paris so nick gives charlie a hickey 
everyone tries to figure out who it is and they point fingers at James, who is the only other out gay boy on the trip. And James and Isaac have been having some kind of relationship. Like they meet each other in the library. They're both avid readers. There seems to be a burgeoning romance there, which I got really excited for, but I kept being confused because I I was like, wait, how does Isaac even identify? We've never talked about this. He's never Mm -hmm. specified. Mm -hmm. So I, I liked all of that leading up to the art show. And the thing that doesn't work for me, it's not the outcome per se. I like the fact that he realizes it. I like the fact that we have the outbursts and so on. But when he goes to the art show, it's a queer art show. So there's a bunch of different pieces. We don't get to see any of them except for L's and this one student's. Isaac literally walks in, walks right up to it, <laughs> smiles, and this person stands next to him and literally just tells the audience, oh, well, I'm asexual. This is what it means. And Isaac has this epiphany. It was just so heavy handed to me. It was too exposition-y for you. It just all came together in a way that is very, very fake. And mm. considering the way that we've approached Nick's bisexuality, where he really had to process that and be like am i gay no that doesn't quite fit with what i'm looking for and i realized that with asexual there's maybe i don't know i i only know one asexual it's a person online they do talk about it sometimes but it's also i've gathered there's a bit of a coming out or a grievance or an acceptance to that and the way that isaac deals with it was just too simple a light bulb moment i wanted them to give this character the time and space to unpack that instead of just being Mm. like there you go now you know what isaac is moving the story on (laughs) okay i i think that's fair i think that's fair i think you're right i don't think the show ultimately as a ya romance is willing to move that far away from the romantic plot lines like and i think that that in general is a problem in the series if i'm going to admit to there being any problems because (laughs) as a result we don't spend much time like we don't really understand what darcy's home life is except that it's sort of like generically bad right um we don't get enough tori because she's not in a romantic relationship Mm -hmm. so there is something interesting as a critique of the show to point to the fact that we have almost no engagement with characters who are not in a romance Yes. At the same time as we have Isaac critiquing his friends for only caring about their friends when they're in a romance. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) there's something kind of circular happening there. Even to the extent where we have two male chaperones on this Paris trip. So the new character for the season is Mr. Farouk, who is played by Nima Talagani. And I love this character. I think there's so much comedy to be mined out of his relationship Mm -hmm. with Mr. Ayei. And... Like, they're very cute together. You want them to get together. It all makes sense. But at the same time, like, at this point, when we were watching it, my husband literally turned to me and said, so every faculty member, like, (laughs) is every person on this show queer? And I just thought, yeah, I mean, that's part of the fantasy. I think it's part of the reason why the show is such a safe space for queer viewers in particular. Mm -hmm. But at a certain point, how much of the message gets slightly diluted if it becomes too much of a fantasy like even when you go to paris you can meet another gay person and just hook up because it's all going to be fantastic and magical joe can i ask you a totally off-topic question a hundred percent okay so the whole time i was watching the scene where nick and charlie are making out in the drinks cubby at the hotel 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I read it again in the comic, we've seen another either book or movie this mm-hmm. year with a makeout scene in a vending machine cubby. Right. What book was it? Oh, boy. Right? But we have, right? I'm not going completely off my rocker. Um, You might be going off your rocker, uh, but also I'm completely useless in this capacity. So <laughs> I might turn it over to the listeners and yeah. say, if this sounds familiar, folks, let us know. Because I didn't think it was a trope until I saw it here. And I'm sure we talked about a particularly hot makeout scene mm. in a drinks vestibule previously (laughs) so i would like to know if the listeners know what i'm talking about i mean it does sound amusingly like a trope that ya would pick up on and (laughs) run with brenna i want to have a conversation about ben because i do think that that is one of the other you know we just came off of our conversation about piglets last week where we talked about whether it's satisfying or not to see the antagonist teenage character get their comeuppance in that book And there's some interesting stuff with Ben. Yeah. Less so in the comic than the TV show. So in season two of Heartstopper, the TV show, we have Imogen, who has moved on. Poor sweet Imogen. She has moved on from Nick, and she is now dating Ben. And of course, we all know Ben, and we hate Ben, because he is the one who abused Charlie Mm -hmm. and... You know, Nick ended up having to punch him, and we had all the drama at the movie theater last season. Just to pause here, as I texted you, Joe, mm-hmm. Imogen's Paris vibes are immaculate. Let's just celebrate every wardrobe choice she makes in Paris, but go on. Is it just me, or is she surfing like a weird L Woods kind of vibe to it? It's, it's like an L Woods or a, like, Cher Horowitz. I yes. have strong Cher mm-hmm. Horowitz vibes. Yes, <laughs> and it's great. Like, I want everything for Imogen. I want her to be brought into this friend group. She disappears yes. when we come back from Paris, and I know, I'm missing so... her. Me too. <laughs> so things start to go very sour for Imogen and Ben when we get to Paris. He's very pouty. He keeps looking at Nick and Charlie. He keeps asking if he can talk to Charlie, and Charlie ignores him. Imogen breaks up with Ben spectacularly and publicly at a dinner with the entire group. And it's Glorious. quite satisfying and enjoyable <laughs> to watch. <laughs> we end up getting to this point where after the art show, Ben ends up basically forcing a conversation onto mm-hmm. Nick and Charlie, but more so Charlie. And he has this thing where he says, you know, I was in a really bad place and... My parents would not be supportive of me, and I see what the two of you had, and I just think if I had I've had more time, I could have had this with you. Mm. And it's tricky, right? Because you never really know. It's part of the way that the character is written and part of the way this actor plays him. You can't really tell whether he's being genuine, but I think we're meant to believe he is. Mm-hmm. So in this moment that I think we're supposed to find very, very empowering and cathartic, Charlie ends up telling him off he says you know you took something from me and now i don't feel worthy i don't feel like anybody who likes me truly ever likes me that they're just trying to take something from me and i think that's all well and good but it also it felt mean to me and i was surprised at my own reaction Mm, i'm surprised at your reaction okay (laughs) i'm interested here because not to be like on the 2nd of December, you said. But last mm-hmm. week, when we watched, when we talked about Piglet, you really didn't like that um, mm-hmm. Milo gets the forgiveness of the protagonist. But here, it almost seems like you want Charlie to forgive them. Well, I think 
in Piglet, Milo was a deeply unsympathetic character. Like, mm-hmm. there was nothing Fair. about him that we could really latch on to. And I don't know that Charlie needed to forgive Ben here, but the way... I don't know. I, I do think I'm probably going to be in the unpopular or maybe like I'm just off here entirely by myself. But I would <laughs> be curious to know if anybody did feel sympathy for Ben, not in the way that he deserved forgiveness, but that the way Charlie just says, I never want to see you again, that, you know, he's not willing to give any bit of an inch to understand some of the things that might have been driving Ben. I guess I found it a little surprising. It's definitely out of character. I think we're being we're being shown growth might be the wrong word, but I think mm-hmm. we're being shown a version of Charlie who comes to his own defense, which is going to mm-hmm. become really important if they do follow the ED storyline all okay. the way because you know, in volume 4 of the comic, Charlie makes the decision to go into inpatient therapy and it's his decision to make. Okay. And I think that that whole thing is really about Charlie learning to defend himself so Mm -hmm. when i saw that scene with ben my first thought was like oh they're gonna softball the ed storyline because they're gonna use this as his growth moment instead which i really hope they don't do because i Mm -hmm. think that the visibility of a boy with anorexia is extremely important and i don't think they will because they they definitely felt like they were setting up the ed storyline but that it's not done i didn't get the impression that it had been put to bed I just wonder if they're going to go as hard on it as they do in the comics. Right. Like, in the comics, we basically don't have a Charlie for the entire first half of Volume 4. Mm. And I'm not sure the TV show is brave enough to drop its central character for right. four of eight episodes. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that we might be seeing growth from Charlie in other places, and that's what this confrontation with Ben is meant to show us. Mm. I could be wrong. Right. Um, it's not that I felt sorry for Ben. Because uh, I hate him, but I did <laughs> fair, feel, fair. <laughs> but I did feel surprised at the vitriol that Charlie is able to access here because he mm-hmm. so rarely is able to access that kind of anger. So yeah, I don't know, I don't know what that means in terms of my perception of it as being sort of justified or not, but it definitely surprised me. I mm-hmm. think I still enjoyed it though, Joe. That's fair. That's completely fair. Yeah, I, I guess I was also doing a little bit of comparison with the way that Nick's storyline goes with his older university brother, as mm. well as his father, where his dad actually seems kind of okay with it, but then he still can't get any details about either one of his son's lives correctly. Yeah, well, his dad's fine with having a queer son insofar as he basically is not a dad at all to anyone. So it's like, why would you even have an opinion about this? (laughs) (laughs) And then, you know, I think we're very clearly meant to believe that Nick's older brother is not just, oh, he's, he's a bit of a bad dude or a bad sibling, but he is kind of actively micro-aggressively homophobic. Oh, he's a where... head. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh, right, I can't swear on the show. It's Sorry, fine. I just everybody. get to believe it out now. <laughs> but, I mean, that that's so much more of a, I guess, a hissable character, whereas I think that there was some interesting work being done in the second season. Like, Ben season one, so easy to hate, and I felt like yeah. Ben season two was oh, he actually is a character. And I don't think that he's worthy of forgiveness, but I did feel like I understood him better. 
I do think you're pointing at something that I think might actually be just a problem in the direction of this series, which is that I'm not sure how we're actually supposed to take Ben. We get Mm. more of Ben's storyline for sure, but Ben's extremely manipulative in season one. And so in season two, I'm not sure if I'm even supposed to believe everything he's saying. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that that's either going to have huge payoff in a subsequent season or it's going to sort of dangle as a, a problem. Right. Out of curiosity, do we have more of the character in the comics or is this the end? Because it felt like this was the end. Yeah, it's the end of him in the comics for sure. Okay. So I think, I mean, this may be the end of our conversation on him then because I got the impression in the TV show that this would be it. Yeah. It's unsatisfying, I think, as a total ending insofar as I'm not sure how we were supposed to read him. Right. Ever. Yeah. I have a feeling we'll hear from people who will say, you're overcomplicating it. He's a villain. This is a moment of victory for Charlie. Joe loves overcomplicating things. Don't get in his way. (laughs) Hey, Pot, this is me, Kettle. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Brenna, do you have any other storylines, elements, wrap-ups, things you would like to see in Heartstopper Season 3 that you know we can anticipate? I mean, it sounds like you're hoping and also maybe slightly dreading the ed storyline did you have Mm -hmm. any insight about how they handle it here um i i it's still awfully subtle here you know what i mean like and it is in fairness at the end of volume three as well still fairly unresolved Mm -hmm. i think it's good that we see nick going to his mom for help one of the strengths of the series as a comic series, I think, is recognizing that teenagers can't solve all their own problems right. and that sometimes you do, in fact, need an adult. And so mm-hmm. I love the scene between Nick and all-star of all time, Olivia Coleman, when they have that conversation at the so beach. Amazing. I think that's a really valuable scene. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll see. I'm My worry for season three is that it's not going to go hard enough on that mm-hmm. storyline. Ultimately, in the comic series, Charlie is diagnosed not just with anorexia but also with ocd um, which begins to explain a lot of his behaviors and i think that there's there's something really powerful about a very beloved character like him coming to terms with such uh an intense diagnosis so Mm -hmm. i hope that they still do that in general my hope for season three is that we get more non-romantic storylines so the ed one is one of those but i think in general the show is showing real growth in a range of different directions but it has a lot of work to do on actually the friendship storylines like your your closest friends can't all just be people you make out with like at a certain point (laughs) we do need to see more of the platonic friend storylines and more more storylines that can include Isaac in more complicated mm-hmm. ways. Um, so that's my hope, really. Because then we get right. more Tori and we get more Isaac. I don't want us to get more Tori because Tori starts dating someone in the friend group or something. Oh, you know what my. I mean? Like, no, no, I no. want more Tori on Tori's terms. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would like that a lot. My concern right now, hearing you talk more about the ED storyline that we could be looking at in the future is I also need to, and that this may be me showing a bit of my butt and not knowing, but I found the conflation between Charlie cutting himself and his Mm. ED to be Mm -hmm. troubling because from what I know, those are not the same thing. No. And I think in the book series, OCD becomes an overarching explanation for a bunch of Mm. maladaptive behaviors that charlie is engaging in that are harming himself okay um and the inpatient treatment is not just an inpatient 
ED treatment. It's an inpatient treatment for everything that Charlie's going through. Okay. And so I guess that's my worry that they softball. Like, this is a problem that Charlie needs serious help with. And my mm-hmm. worry is going to be like, Charlie goes to therapy once a week now. Everything's solved. Yay. And I'm, <laughs> I'm just dreading that. Charlie smaller portions and make him eat everything on the plate because that's how that works. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. And I'm a little bit, con- well, I'm a little bit concerned, right? Like the, the passing out in Paris is the start of a snowball of behaviors mm-hmm. in the comic series. And I just... I don't know. I keep coming back to the fact that, like, how many YA texts have we read, Joe, and how often do we encounter boys with eating disorders? Like, it's so, so rare to see it depicted, and it's such a common story now mm-hmm. that I think it definitely needs to be done well. And I'm very scared that it's going to be there, but bad. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be I'll be curious. I have a feeling that it will deliver what you want because so far, Alice Oseman has not given us any reason to doubt her. That's and she true. is so integral to the development of the show that i think it could be fine i do think that they'll find ways so that if we do send charlie away that he won't be absent the whole time i think we might actually then check in with him yes yeah and there are moments of that in the comic but we would i would imagine we would want to see that expanded for the series Mm -hmm. yeah we basically switch to a focalization from nick for the first half of volume four and uh It would be interesting to see what the TV show does with that. Right. Yeah. I do want to note for our listeners that Volume 5 is out at Christmas. December 12th, I believe, is the release date for Volume 5. So keep an eye on that on your calendars. Interesting. Yeah. And have no fears. We will get at least one more season of Heartstopper because when it was greenlit for Season 2, it was doubly greenlit. So Season 3 is guaranteed to be coming, although... You know what? I actually don't know if the writers and actors strike effects because I don't think it works internationally Mm, question mark so they may be actively working on it right now yeah i was wondering the same thing joe because i was just thinking this is like the first in production show we've watched since the start of the strike so Mm -hmm. i just wanted to make sure that we restate our solidarity with the striking writers oh a hundred percent yes a hundred percent all the time um and uh yeah so i don't know i don't know if this one is affected because it's an international title but who knows um brenna shall we do some ya bingo yeah bingo not a good bingo okay so i'm gonna go with coincidental classes for the language classes right (laughs) (laughs) barely um but also i think for l's art classes and the way in which l's exploration of art and l's exploration of the self are sort of intertwined right yes we obviously have some abuse going on at darcy's house even if we don't have a lot of details about it Mm -hmm. and you could argue that Without meaning to, Charlie is actually self-abusing with his Mm -hmm. eating control. That's true. I think we have a few examples of perfect dates. I Mm -hmm. really love, though, I'm going to foreground Tao and Elle at the art gallery in Paris as my favorite perfect date from this season. It's really good. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, we have a road trip, even though it's on a bus. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I love the part where the kids are like, why can't we see fish out the window? And Mr. Farouk's like, just kill me. Why am I on this trip with you people? (laughs) I did appreciate that the first thing he said when they got off the bus was, I need a drink. (laughs) (laughs) He's he's hashtag relatable. Very relatable. Yeah. (laughs) Um, We obviously have queer secondary characters out the wazoo in this series. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Might be more interesting to identify the straight secondary characters in this series. So far, just Imogen. But Imogen appears to be having a bit of a queer moment. We haven't even talked about that. 
Oh, right. Yes. With uh, the friend that she inadvertently or subconsciously left behind, who she realizes is far more interesting and talented than she ever realized. Mm -hmm. Uh, Musicality, the show continues to be on point with the soundtrack. It's Mm -hmm. my working soundtrack of choice right now. To the point where you're just like, okay, (laughs) like at some (laughs) point, maybe we need to pull back a little bit on the needle drops. (laughs) How dare you? How dare you? (laughs) I'm sorry. I just watched another TV show that was doing it, but worse. Like the songs literally had lyrics that were fully addressing what was going on on screen. (laughs) And I was like, it's too much. Um, We're going to go montage. We have art show montage. We have Paris Mm -hmm. montage. We have dressing for art show montage. But my favorite one of all is the dressing for prom montage. Sure. Mm -hmm. I'm confused about prom here. I didn't think they had proms in the UK. I don't know. But yeah, we definitely go to prom here. Yeah, which I guess is another bingo square. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give another stunt casting to Olivia Coleman and the frankly criminally underused Stephen Fry in this season. I made fun of it last time, Joe, but he mm-hmm. literally has two voiceovers in the whole season. It's unacceptable. <laughs> yeah, he is not there at all, except in Mm-mm. spirit. So, mm-hmm. uh, okay, I'm going to give Hollow Romance for the Imogen Ben storyline. Nice. And we've obviously got a Netflix connection. Oh, yeah, good one. Uh, lots of good friendships, although I will say the fact that nobody really checks on Darcy until after she's been absent for nearly half a day, and the fact that Isaac has to literally yell at everyone after basically crying out on the balcony, mm-hmm. maybe question some of these friends. Yeah, everybody pay more attention to people other than the ones you're kissing challenge 2023. Literally, yeah. <laughs> uh, and of course, we have female screenwriter, because Al Sozman wrote a bunch of these. Oh, yay. Okay, cool. I loved it, and I want to see more. (laughs) Uh, And don't you worry, we will. The question is just when. Hmm. So um, if you want to get in touch with us and tell us your Heartstopper thoughts, you can find us on the Twitters at HKHSPod or on the hashtag HKHSPod. Joe, where did they find you? I can be reached at B Stole My Remote, and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an A. And if you've got anything long form for us, you can send it to hkhspod at gmail.com. Like, for example, maybe you're reading Alana the First Adventure for the next book club and you want to get your thoughts in. Do that ASAP. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Um, okay, so uh, next episodes, we're going to talk about cool things like the new Becky Albertalli book, Imogen, obviously. We're going to finally get our red, white, and royal blue on, Joe. Mm-hmm. And coming up really soon, Joe's going to make me watch Allegiance. So yay for that. So stay tuned <laughs> for all of those things. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, that's basically the rest of August. So uh, mm-hmm. look forward to that. Absolutely. And until next time, I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. Joe loves overconfident. I'm sorry. I'm trying to get through this quickly, but I just keep adding it on. Um, Not just because I have read literally every single book that Isaac has walking around. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. With Mr. Ajayi and Ajayi. Ayahi. Okay, so things start to go very sour for Imogen and, um, oh, now I've forgotten his name. Ben. Ben.